This week I came across a quote by Vadi Bachman. He said, The Bible does speak to every issue in life, and our political issues are informed by our theology. There's no such thing as a politician or a political issue that is not theological. You cannot do politics without theology. So we have to break this false dichotomy. And that is the premise of this podcast. It's Saturday, December 4th, 2021, and today we're commenting on the following two stories. Landmark abortion Supreme Court case, and yet another tragic school shooting in Oxford High School, Michigan. Welcome to Life Ring, a podcast where we strive to provide you with a well-rounded review of what is going on in the world between Monday and Friday of this past week. My name is Alex, and I'm blessed to be joined today by my friend, a longtime friend, and today's co-host, Andre. Hi, Andre. Hey, thank you, Alex. I'm um, really glad we got to reconnect recently. Yeah. Funny story, um, last New Year's, mm-hmm. me and my wife had this uh, New Year's resolution. Uh, let me back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So we moved back to Washington uh, three years ago. From, from California. California. Yeah, I used to live in California for years, Portland before then, and of course, Washington. Mm-hmm. Had quite a bit of church friends, youth friends, yourself included. So when I was in this area, so I moved out single, mm-hmm. came back with the family. So uh, more on my plate, busier. So we just kind of, you know, went away from the usual group of mm-hmm. uh, right. people. So we have a lot of cousins, old friends. So our New Year's resolution was... Let's try to reconnect with someone at least once a month. So our goal was to reconnect with like 12, whether it's friends or family mm-hmm. members. Mm-hmm. And it's December and we're one twelfth done. So one twelfth. <laughs> that was a resolution that you had at the beginning of yes. the year? Okay. So I'll, I'll right. need to um, yes. refresh that resolution. But is that me? I'm, I'm the one twelfth? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. So um, it exciting. did not seem like a big challenge. I mean, one person a month, but apparently it was a bigger challenge than I anticipated. So I'm glad we were able to do that. Yes. So, Man, if- do we have a story? Can we talk about that? I, sure. I really was looking Go forward ahead. to share this. So this intro is going to be a little longer. But So apparently when we were reconnecting, which was about, uh, what is it, a week, two weeks ago at this point? Three? Three weeks ago? Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So we met at a coffee shop to meet, right? Now that same day, you were going to go and pick up your wife from the airport, right? Yes. Well, you would you would pick her up around six p.m. Now on that same day, we had the flooding in the in mm-hmm. the in the county, right? And then there was this landslide across the I road. I forgot about that, <laughs> right? So basically, you meet up with me, which helps you cross from Bellingham to Mount Vernon. Now, if you didn't meet with me, then you you said you you would essentially be trapped by the landslide on the other side. Is yeah. that right? Because yeah. around around the time when you needed to drive out. The landslide already happened. Correct, yeah. Because yeah, I was I, actually leaving from a meeting from you, and my mom was calling me and telling me that one side is for sure blocked of, yeah. the, of the highway. When I was driving, the water was going over the highway. It was down to one lane. So if I wouldn't meet with you, I'd drive out later, so I wouldn't be able to pick up my wife from the airport. So, right. hey. And then on the way back, I mean, we knew that the freeway is going to be closed. Uh, they said that it's going to be closed, you know, for the whole night. And now we're talking about this is Interstate 5, so it's a... Very, it's a major road, uh, you know, that goes across Washington, like from Canada into Oregon. Uh, and they said they're going to close it for the night. And so then you were going back home to Bellingham North, right? Past our house. And then you got stuck on, on the exit where essentially there was this traffic. And you got stuck there for how long? I was, I believe it was four hours. Um, 
I work at 911 Dispatch, so I messaged my friends like, hey, guys, so uh, what's the best way to get home? They're like, hey, well, th- this is the detour. What I did not know that uh, a semi truck flipped at the detour, blocking the detour, mm-hmm. so we were in a complete gridlock, and uh, we would be standing there all night if it wasn't for you. <laughs> Go well, ahead, I ended up, so uh, yeah, I texted you around 11 p.m., and I was like, man, I... Uh, you're still standing in traffic, oh, and, and then you you send me the picture where you're standing at. Now we the same day, I believe, uh, in the early in the morning, we actually drove around to see the flooding. So we drove to the road that goes parallel to the I five. So I knew that it was open. I just didn't know how far, and so I was able to get to you literally in eleven minutes, which on the highway would take fifteen minutes. I went a little faster on the roads, mm. but um, yeah. And then I walked up on the freeway through the exit. Uh, you know, because I had the map over you were at. And as I was walking to you, there were a few guys just anxious to get out of there. And I'm like, seems like you could easily get off on the exit. And so right off, I don't know if I, I think I sent the guy first and then you, right? Mm-hmm. Because somebody was in front yeah. of you. So we sent one car going through the thing. And then as soon as we sent you out, I was going to meet up with you. But then um, the next car pulls up and I'm like, well, I guess we can send the cars through. And we started sending cars through. Um, for about 10, 15 minutes, we were sending cars through, through, through. Finally, we see a, a, a police officer, maybe it was a sheriff, coming, you know, yeah. in the back. And, and, and he passes by me and he's like, man, I'm so pissed that whoever is blocking this thing. And it's been hours. Yeah. You were literally sitting in the... Yeah, and there's just semi-trucks parked and on, on the exit off-ramp. I kind of get them. I used to be a truck driver. So, hey, if your logbook's running out, you just park wherever you are and go to Right. Sleep. For them, it doesn't yeah. matter. I'm like, okay, well, at least can you then back up? Because we would, we would try to shuffle. Mm-hmm. The, and we did it, like I'm telling you, 10, 15 minutes, man. And we broke the whole thing. And then he's coming back. He's like, okay, now everybody can go. And you were gone by that point. But I'm standing at the off-ramp then. And it's just flowing like water. Like cars are going out of that whole thing, you know, like through the exit and to the detour. It was just really mind-blowing that here I am sitting on the couch, you know, and coming over and trying to, you know, get, get this thing unplugged. I just, I told this day I can't put it together. Well, my wife told me, it's like, Alex is like an angel yeah. sent by God because uh, my wife was literally praying. It's like, God, do something to to make this, yeah. you know, clear up. And honest, honestly, you know, it was not going to clear up. So God did something by getting you right. up there. When you texted me, you said, hey, I'm going to come over. I'm like, dude, you're crazy. You're going to get stuck you're where gonna, I'm yeah. standing. We're both going to yeah. be pissed. <laughs> so yeah. I had no idea what you had planned, but... It, the way it worked out, man. And I'm telling you, I didn't know what the plan was either. So yeah. I'm glad the way it worked out. And it's a great story, I'll tell you yeah, that. I'm still was. like surprised by the whole thing. It's 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 crazy. Yeah. So back in episode 11 of season one, that was May 22nd of this year, uh, Paul, Vadim, and I, we were talking about how, you know, the vaccinated people are allowed to go back in the stores now without masks. And we thought, man, that was, you know, finally things are loosening up. And little did we know, six months later, we're, we now have the big scary Omicron and it's upon us. And who knows what the future holds. Anyways, so six months ago, we discussed an important story. That story was that in May of this year, Supreme Court picked up a case which could potentially overturn Roe v. Wade decision. Now, again, in, in episode 11, if, if you're interested, you could listen to the backstory on the Roe v. Wade because we talk about who the lady is and you know how the story unfolded. Uh, if you want to listen to it, it starts at 10 minutes into the podcast or into the episode. So half a decade ago, uh, that fateful and infamous decision in American history has robbed this nation of more than 60 million babies. Now, we look at child sacrifice, say, in the tribes of the past civilizations, 
and we feel sorrowful and we lament the evil decisions made by those people. But considering the world population at the time, I was thinking, man, if you even put all of them together, all the child sacrifices of the past probably wouldn't amount to this figure. Think about it. 62 million children in the past 50 years have been aborted. And sadly for minor inconveniences. Yeah, that should be horrifying. Should be horrifying to everyone. But unfortunately in our society, it is not. Seven out of nine Supreme Court judges in 1973, they struck down the Texas law, which at that time was banning abortions and uh, essentially legalizing the procedure nationwide. So this week's story, where the Supreme Court had a formal hearing on Wednesday, and it's a monumental case because of the precedent that it would set. So here's the opening statement uh, in this case of Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization of Mississippi. We will hear argument this morning in case 19-1392, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. General Stewart. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey haunt our country. They have no basis in the Constitution. They have no home in our history or traditions. They've damaged the democratic process. They poison the law. They've choked off compromise. For 50 years, they've kept this court at the center of a political battle that it can never resolve. And 50 years on, they stand alone. Nowhere else does this court recognize a right to end a human life. Consider this case. The Mississippi law here prohibits abortions after 15 weeks. The law includes robust exceptions for a woman's life and health. It leaves months to obtain an abortion. Yet the courts below struck the law down. It didn't matter that the law applied that the law applies when an unborn child is undeniably human, when risks to women surge, and when the common abortion procedure is brutal. The lower courts held that because the law prohibits abortions before viability, it is unconstitutional no matter what. Roe and Casey's core holding, according to those courts, is that the people can protect an unborn girl's life when she just barely can survive outside the womb, but not any earlier when she needs a little more help. That is the world under Roe and Casey. That is not the world the Constitution promises. The Constitution places its trust in the people. On hard issue after hard issue, the people make this country work. Abortion is a hard issue. It demands the best from all of us, not a judgment by just a few of us. When an issue affects everyone, and when the Constitution does not take sides on it, it belongs to the people. Roe and Casey have failed, but the people, if given the chance, will succeed. This court should overrule Rowan Casey and uphold the state's law. I welcome the court's questions. The case in question is Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And it's in relation to the law that was enacted in 2018, where uh, this Mississippi law that prohibits abortion after 15 weeks gestational age, with the exception for medical emergencies and fetal abnormality. And so, Which doesn't make sense to me uh, why they would be mad. I mean, if you don't want to abort your baby before 15 weeks, why would you want to abort the baby after 15 weeks? So it, mm -hmm. it just doesn't mm -hmm. make sense at all. I mean, you should probably know if you want the baby, not before you have it, you know. Right. And, and it's like, man, if we're talking about responsibility, such a word as responsibility, mm -hmm. then you should be responsible about your procreation. Of course, there's always exceptions, right? Yeah. I mean, no, nobody's arguing against those exceptional cases when, when, when things go wrong or, or, or something went astray. But in majority of cases, people know they're pregnant and they're doing it, like you mentioned in the beginning, out of inconvenience. Yeah. Right. And what's unfortunate 
uh, my sister-in-law, she she had twins, and after mm-hmm. they did a lot of scans, they're like, they're they might be with Down syndrome. They might have some sort of an abnormality. So, um, do you want to discuss your options? She was like super like dumbfounded. She's like, "What do you mean discuss my options? Like, are you gonna fix the abnormality or what other options?" So it's not just that they allow some sort of exceptions, like you said, but they kind of feed it to you and push it to you. Hey, push it onto this own. might be a Down syndrome baby. She's like, what kind of option? Kind you know, <laughs> I give birth to oh a baby, my. whether it's Down syndrome or not, you know, and they're kind of yeah. trying to feed you the option. So it's not just like they're giving you the option. They're kind of like almost pushing you towards yeah, yeah. that option. And, and the main argument presented by the Mississippi Solicitor General is that uh, is that the Supreme Court made a mistake with Roe v. Wade back in 1973. And what he was arguing is that it is time to reverse the decision, let the people decide, meaning that each state will then decide rather than the government saying, we're going to regulate how it's done. The Roe v. Wade decision was not so much a constitutional argument as it was a medical, philosophical, and political argument. And since the judges at that time Mm -hmm. in 1973, they were not doctors, and it's been also 50 years since that decision, uh, we as a society would be wise to consider you know, the scientific advancement in understanding the mystery of life. But then for political reasons, there has been largely an ignorance of medical facts regarding the unborn babies. And so as we wait for this crucial and consequential decision, which is, you know, couldn't come soon, I stumbled upon this great article by Jordan Boyd at The Federalist. It's titled 10 Amazing Facts About Unborn Babies You Should Know Before the Supreme Court Rules on Dobbs. So she begins by saying the first one is that life begins at conception. Now, this is something that science says, right? So not just, I, I guess, not just a philosophical question anymore, but she's quoting here, for years, medical textbooks have recognized that biological life begins the moment an egg carrying half of the genetic information required to create life is fertilized by the sperm, which carries the other half of the genetic information. So she's saying, the medical textbooks have said it for years that the moment the two come together, it forms a new called what is zyg- zygote? Zygote. Zygote. You're the medical guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think biology in high school. You see, and I think they're starting to recognize that and they're kind of pushing away from it's not life versus it's not viable f- from outside of the womb. You know, they're kind of almost switching the narrative, you know, but then you look about look at it if you're an ICU, you're not viable without let's say oxygen support, you're not going to kill that person, you know? So they're kind of, I think they're starting to recognize it and it's coming around to get them. Second point, an unborn baby's heartbeat can be apparently detected by six weeks. And this is important because earlier on, it was a point of contention when quite a few states, conservative states, signed the heartbeat law to where you're not allowed to have an abortion the moment you detect a heartbeat. I mean, it also makes sense. Here's, Here's point number three. All major organs are formed and functional by 15 weeks of gestation. Number four, babies in the womb can control their fingers. Not just move their fingers, but control. That means they have some sort of like an operating system in their head that they can actually respond to external stimuli. A baby at that point will be able to support his own body weight momentarily by grasping. And that uh, at this point, they also learn to suck their thumbs, start to show a preference for a dominant right or left hand. I mean, we're, we're talking about real baby. And number five, touch and taste, flavor. She's saying they react to taste delivered to them through the amniotic fluid from their mother's bodies and by 15 weeks have taste buds of their own. 
Point six is babies in utero have functioning, developing brains. I think number seven is probably the most heartbreaking one when it comes to abortions. They can feel pain, you know. It's not just you're getting rid of it. They they feel it. And to me, that sounds crazy because we talk about animal suffering and how, you know, like if your dog is having some kind of chronic disease, you don't want to see the poor thing suffer just because you want to keep him around. You take him to the vet and they put him down, right? But then we've got, we're, we're talking about humans, little humans who, when they're being destroyed in the womb during an abortion, right? They're pushing away. They're kicking at it. They, they experience pain. Like you mentioned about animals, I think even the animal abuse is a felony now, I think, as of recently, you know, and when... The funny thing is, working on 911, you know, when we get an animal abuse case, there's so much more uh, emotional reaction than someone beating someone up. You know, I don't know what it is about these animals, bro. Just keep thinking about that. Tell them that they killed 62 million puppies and see what kind of protests we're going to have. Exactly. Number eight, female babies have millions of eggs by 21 weeks. That's citizens of this country that could have been, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and, of course, they could have had their families of their own, right? So we're talking about a huge uh, part of the population that is not with us. And number nine, the baby practices breathing. I honestly had no idea. By 30 weeks uh, gestation, the fetus breathes 30 to 40% of the day with respiration rates between 30 and 70 breaths per minute. And then finally, uh, the, the, she, she goes on to say that babies practice seeing, hearing in the womb as well. So they have these sporadic eye movements, uh, which begin around 14 weeks gestation, this rapid eye movement, what we get during sleep, and that it's first detected around 18 weeks. I found a very mind-boggling article or a fact that Portland approved bereavement leave for abortion. So, you know, I work, if your family member dies, you can take some time off to grieve the loss of a family member. So I googled the definition of bereave, Mm -hmm. and this is what it said. Be deprived of a loved one through a profound absence, especially due to the loved one's death. I mean, a loved (laughs) one. I mean, if you're aborting a fetus, if it's a loved one, why are you aborting it in a way? And especially due to the loved one's death. If the baby dies, death, which kind of means that there was life in the first place. And if you're taking this bereavement, you're recognizing that someone died, you know, so... What is next? So according to Washington Post, if the court's uh, usual practices hold, then the justice will have taken an initial vote uh, this Friday. And uh, now it's going to be months before a decision will be announced. Compromise, they say, is often part of those deliberations. And overturning precedents as deeply ingrained as the court's abortion jurisprudence would create outcry from the public. Essentially, we have yet to... It's not going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be on Monday. Mm-hmm. It's going to take months to get to the final decision. And so of all causes that Christians stand up for and protest and vote for a change, this one deserves unrelenting attention. We are to be the salt in our generation, to be the light in the darkness. We are to continue to give voice to the voiceless and uphold the dignity of the little beings created in the image of God who have not had a chance to live, whose right to live has been relegated as worthless in light of their mother's choices. And yet they lived. Even if their life was cut short in the womb, they lived and continue to live on in their creator's presence. And we as Christians, we from our side will continue to uphold the sanctity of human life courageously and compassionately speaking the truth in love. (laughs) 
Welcome to Lightning Round, where we run down the stories uh, that are also important, but we just don't go in depth. I guess we do quick commentary. You ready? Let's go. Let's do it. So in a world of uh, world news, in a world of world news, here's a story that caught my attention. Apparently this week, the United Nations passed a controversial resolution where they called the Temple Mount only by its Muslim name. And now I'm quoting from Christian headlines here. So this resolution was passed 129 yes and 11 no's, although Israel, the United States, Canada, and Australia all opposed it. And the resolution says, quote, any actions taken by Israel, the occupying power, to impose its laws, jurisdiction, and administration on the holy city of Jerusalem are illegal. Um, they go on to say that significantly that the resolution does not contain the phrase Temple Mount, but instead refers to it as Haram al-Sharif, the Muslim term for the site. So basically what we've got is um, United Nations recognizing only the Muslim part of the history, not the Jewish part of the history. I mean, it kind of makes sense. I mean, if it was recognized, it doesn't really set precedent for future Armageddon, if you will. I mean, they got to keep fighting. Anyways. I know very little about the Israel and their disputes, but Ben Shapiro here is a very good resource for that. I heard uh, uh, he breaks it down pretty darn good of uh, the reason for their disputes, for their wars, and it's, it's pretty interesting if anyone wants to look into that further. And in the news of COVID, sounds like a never-ending uh, mm-hmm. topic and newsflash, there will always be a new variant. <laughs> So an interesting fact I heard, I don't know if it's a fact, but a theory that Omicron can actually help end the pandemic. The fact that it's uh, super spreadable or it's easily spread. Some people say it's resistant to vaccines. Maybe I'll just breeze through everybody real quick. <laughs> and create herd immunity faster, yeah, huh? Hey, it's just a theory. I don't know the details of that, but I just came okay. across that somewhere. Anyways, uh, talking about Australia which uh, never ceases to surprise me. Apparently, a quarantine camp, Howard Springs COVID quarantine facility, where they, uh, well, the name speaks for itself, quarantine people who have been exposed or tested positive for COVID. There were three teenagers who escaped, not left, escaped from the Howard Springs COVID facility, and they were all tested negative for COVID. So, Number one, they didn't have COVID. They escaped. And one article mentioned that they were on a manhunt for these people, which they were le- uh, later arrested. Yeah, and they were hunting them down like these guys have done something so crazy. It's like not a, something so horrendous. It's not a popular subject. I mean, if news talks about it, you know, it's going to generate a lot of fear that we're going that direction. So they just kind of cover it. You know, I, I looked up a lot of articles. They don't have much to say. Just couple, a uh, couple sentences because they knew it's out there, so they have to comment on it, and it just ends on that, which is pretty crazy. I mean, the way they talk about it. Um, so, uh, this is uh, a quote by Independent. Um, this is the second escape from the same facility in recent weeks. A 27-year-old man escaped the facility too by scaling the fence last Friday, because apparently at 4:30 a.m. they decided to jump the fence. But, like, escaped, you know? <laughs> like, it sounds like they were in prison or something. I mean, and how bad does it have to on. be for you want to run from that place? Yeah. I mean, teenagers, their risk is extremely low. They're tested negative. They want to see their families. Yeah. It's bizarre. And somebody was saying, uh, I, I saw the Brandy Cruz from from Cairo in, in Seattle's radio station post the image. <laughs> and on the bottom, I was scrolling. 
there's this uh, meme of of um, trying to make fun of Jay Inslee, the governor of yeah. Washington State. He's like probably okay. Got to take notes. This is good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this uh, this this kind of comes as a surprise because it's CNN who decided to do this. But apparently, Chris Cuomo, the brother of Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, who who was under fire at the beginning of this year, and that's after having such a successful run as a um, defeater of the pandemic, right? Because prior to that, he was like this, you know, he wrote a book about how he, you know, apparently handled the crisis well. Turned out all of that was a lie. On top of that, he had uh, some sexual misconduct allegations against him, right? And so on. So all of these things came out. And so apparently what we're seeing is, is, is CNN decided to suspend his brother, Chris Cuomo. I think they're just trying to save face at this point. Maybe. Maybe there's something that's that's more than, I don't know. They said pending further evaluation. Yeah. So yeah. they're going to come up with some evaluation too. And then he's going to go through some, you know, he's going to regret it all and apologize and then boom. Yeah. It's all back to normal. But it was just kind of good to see that, you know, it does come around. Like eventually justice does catch up. And that apparently he was um, offering him a bunch of help through the whole ma- managing his PR. I mean, he does apologize initially after his uh, first statement, but apparently he did not account for the fact that there's more things that will come to light. So he'll have to adjust his apology and come out with the revised version, yep. which is unfortunate. And then there's this uh, other thing. Sometimes it doesn't get covered as much as it should be, but this is an important trial, an important case. Um, this is the continuing case of, of Jeffrey Epstein's. So this Monday began the opening statements in the federal sex trafficking trial of Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, she was once a prominent socialite, according to NPR, of Jeffrey Epstein. Now, in the after, they go on to say, in the aftermath of Epstein's apparent death by suicide in 2019, the highly anticipated trial is seen as the government's best and perhaps last opportunity to secure a conviction for his alleged crimes. So the opening statement started on Monday afternoon after the final members of a 12-person jury were selected and the jury was impaneled. This is going to unfold over the next six weeks. We're probably going to end up covering the story once we get more of it. I haven't really paid attention to the exact details other than a lot of uh, famous names are going to come up, is what I'm hearing are coming up in this case. I think this is going to be a very challenging or uh, hard case. The fact that if... Uh, so many famous faces were involved. A lot of fact checkers, a lot of uh, media trying to cover things up, a lot of conspiracy theories, or maybe facts that are going to be disregarded as conspiracy theories, like the flight lists and all that. You know, you look at online, you say, hey, this is the flight list of all these celebrities who flew there. Then someone else, hey, it's a crazy QN on the conspiracy, you know? And it's like, when I go on Facebook, anything related to Maxwell, it's like, bunch of fact checker flags so it's, it's gonna be really <laughs> soon, hard because soon, soon the court case itself is gonna be fact checked <laughs> they were wrong in court yeah i, I mean Courtney. people come up with yeah. crazy ideas like uh for example jack dorsey stepping down from ceo of twitter they're like hey look perfect timing with this trial he must be involved like all these things you know and <laughs> then fact hide. checker is gonna come up and say yeah. no it's gonna be a hard case to follow yeah so uh, for the next story in the crypto world, so Binance announced 10 fundamental rights for crypto users. So they're working with regulators and policymakers to support a global framework. And they went with 10. I was looking at it and they got the Roman numerals, man, like 10, 10 uh, what do we call them? Commandments. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> the so commandments of crypto. Yeah. 
Thou shall not. <laughs> yep. I mean, the rules are like every human being should have access to financial tools like crypto that allow for greater economic independence. That's the first one. Number two, industry participants have a responsibility to work with regulators and policymakers to shape new standards for crypto assets. Smart regulation encourages innovation and helps keep users safe. Okay. Oh, you know what? That sounds really boring. I'm looking at this. I'm like, all of them are like about two lines long. They probably could have done a better job at making concise statements. huh? So the point is, crypto belongs to everyone. So let's make it ready for everyone. And I will regulate it for you. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> we'll be the first ones. So now there's a probe underway after a plumber finds cash in the wall at Joel Olstein's mega church in Houston. And apparently, uh, Joel Olstein, several years uh, ago, reported a theft of $600,000 during a burglary, which was apparently recovered by Dude, this that's, plumber. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, we just lost 600000 You keep $600,000 in one place? Like, how does that, like... Your church, but but yeah, apparently he was uh, repairing a loose toilet or something like that. It was loose, and uh, and taking the tile off the wall or something like that. And then next thing you know, he just finds a bunch of envelopes. Do you think Joel Olson had no idea? Maybe it was some random churchgoer or staff member who wanted to uh, stash away his retirement money. That's the first thing I thought. I'm like, somebody's like, oh no, they found it. Like somebody <laughs> took the money, stuffed it in the wall. But then they would know. They would like kind of keep an eye on it. Yeah, I would I, think. I have no idea. And how does it randomly get into the wall behind the toilet? It doesn't. I don't think that's a random Inside thing. It's a job. So that's why there's a probe. So from time to time, we'd like to highlight uh, stories of Christian persecution. And according to Christian headlines, Christians in the northwest Nigeria are living in terror after receiving letters threatening death unless they close their churches. And a police spokesman said that Zamfara State Police have beefed up security at churches and increased intelligence gathering in response to the letters that warn Christians that they will be killed or kidnapped if places of worship are not shut down. And the reason we highlight these stories is because we sometimes in the Western world and even like in the bigger countries, because in our countries there's no persecution, it seems like, oh, we Slavic people, our parents had persecution one day. Those were the days of persecution. But to Americans, those weren't the day of persecution for them like it's been freedom all along just like it is for us right now and so we highlight these stories because man right now in many countries around the world there's still persecution going on and we need to acknowledge that for those people the realness of being persecuted for the name of jesus is right now so alec baldwin comes out and he says he did not pull the trigger when his uh, gun fired on the set of the movie rust killing the director of photography in his ABC interview, he was saying that he would never point a gun at someone and pull the trigger. So gun experts decided to evaluate his statement. I quote this article, when asked by the rap to assess the likelihood of Baldwin's statement being true, Steve Wolf, a movie armorer with more than 30 years in the business, said bluntly, on a scale of 1 to 0, 0. He says, um, guns have no batteries, it has no timer. No web connection, no smart piece of equipment. Very reliable device that when you press the trigger, and it does not shoot when you don't press the trigger. So he's saying he didn't pull the trigger? He did not pull the trigger. Oh, okay. But it, he held it. He held the gun. Okay. And he says he has no idea how the live bullet got into the gun. 
right. which is probably true. Because I wouldn't see a reason why he would want to kill a random Exactly, exactly. And he probably had no idea, but the fact that he's saying he did not pull the trigger, I don't know if it's like a lawyer advice or what, but, you know, it's a, it's a smart gun, wireless, <laughs> activated. Yeah, and that's, obviously, that's conspiracy theories are now saying, hey, Hillary Clinton had a, had something to do with it. You know, oh, she was involved on. in uh, <laughs> Maxwell's trial. So, you know, that's why I'm saying that it's, it's crazy right now because you have yeah. no idea what to believe. Everything is either a conspiracy theory or a fact-checked lie. According to Christian uh, headlines, the viral Bible-based series The Chosen broke another record for its new theatrical film on Thursday when it became the best-selling movie in the history of Fathom Events. Uh, that's the distributor. For the movie, uh, Christmas with the Chosen, The Messengers. It topped 8 million in sales based on 640,000 tickets sold. Apparently, the film was originally slated for only two nights, but once ticket sales soared, it expanded to 10 nights and now will play through December 10th. It is being released in 1,700 movie theaters. Have you watched the Chosen series? I've seen the first season. The great thing about the show, and I applaud the director. Mm -hmm. The the team? Yeah, I mean, he fills in the gaps in the Bible. We're so used to reading the Bible as bam, bam, bam. You know, that's the Bible. It doesn't really seem real and like a real story because it's like it's all verses and chapters. But he kind of fills in the blanks of, you know, and Jesus came to Jerusalem and he fills in the blank of how they came to Jerusalem and the regular human interactions the disciples had between each other. You know, like God makes comments or Jesus makes comments about his disciples and we don't think anything about them because we don't know the backstory of why why he got this nickname, like mm-hmm. Sons of Thunder. All right, we just breeze right by it. <laughs> so uh, they have this creativity of, you know, why. They're, Let's imagine yeah. why it could have been. It's pretty great. And yeah. it, it makes the whole Bible story just come to life. Yep. And uh, for a little less relevant story... Rihanna's officially has been named a hero of Barbados. Which, by the way, became an independent, um, yeah, it's like a little island country in the Caribbean. And it was part of the UK, one of the British Commonwealth nations, and now it's apparently independent. Yeah, and uh, they they say Rihanna had just been declared a national hero by the Barbadian government and bestowed with a title, The Right Excellence. The Right Excellence. As the island bade farewell to Queen Elizabeth II and celebrated becoming a republic for the first time in history. We talk about people getting sick with COVID and stuff like that, but you know what? Apparently, Belgian Zoo, Belgian is in Belgium, uh, had two very runny nosed hippos. And when they tested them, they got COVID-19, dude. I can't stop from laughing. <laughs> and it's like... Well, they come from animals, so... Uh, yeah, I guess, but it's the first for its kind, apparently, so... Interesting. Even hippos get COVID-19. I heard cats can die from COVID. Yeah? So... I saw someone put a mask on their dog. It remains a mystery how they got the disease, but just so you know now that COVID-19 is, is not just after us. Uh, and this is our final story here, is that... Um, according to Ars Technica, Russia threatens criminal charges against a NASA astronaut. So what happened is uh, back in 2018, they found a hole in a Soyuz spacecraft when the vehicle was docked to the International Space Station. If you look at it, it's a, it's a very tiny. See, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like it was drilled. By itself, it doesn't pose too much risk, but over time, it could essentially you could lose a bunch of oxygen and it would have been a disastrous problem. They found it, fixed it, everything fine. 
but they just couldn't leave it alone. And so they kept blaming this American astronaut that she wanted, that she had a bad relationship with one of the astronauts and wanted, you know, was in depression and wanted to get down to Earth. So she just drilled a hole in the. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the weirdest stuff ever. And apparently, Russia is threatening to now, you know, press some criminal charges. And uh, they go on to say that the space alliance between Russia and America uh, appears to be falling apart with tensions exacerbated by Russian provocations that are difficult to explain. So what do we know? Well, we know that Russia's space chief Dmitry Rohozin is due to meet in person with Nelson next year in Russia. Perhaps they say Rogozin will use that time to explain the country's aggression against NASA and its astronauts in space. And this is funny because, you know, we're, you know, we're exploring space mm. and, like, nobody wants to, like, out, it's like we're fast walking. You know, each one is fast walking <laughs> awkwardly to like to the prize ahead because we all want to just conquer the universe, but we're doing it like as friends. And then you, you see stuff like this where it's like literally like kids like you drilled my spaceship, <laughs> you know. Yeah. All right. And that's all for the lightning round stories. Now let's get to the story that Andre prepared for us. So for the next story, uh, on November 30th, just before 1 p.m., Deputies responded to yet another school shooting. Uh, this one was at Oxford High School in Michigan, where four students were killed and six students plus a teacher was injured. Uh, this event is very tragic, but it was also a great example of the great work law enforcement officers do to save lives. So they were dispatched within a minute of the incident and surprisingly apprehended the suspect within three minutes of their arrival. Hold I mean, on. We're talking about three minutes... Within their arrival. Oh, when they when they yeah. arrived in the school. Okay, yeah. I see. Wow, that's fast. I mean, you got to come up. You usually don't rush in. You need like a tactical plan. You know, if you're approaching a, mm-hmm. a shooter on the loose, you know, you, can, you don't just run in because now you get killed. So you're not really doing anyone favors. So the fact that they were able to do this so uh, fast and efficiently is just, it's amazing. So when he was in custody, he still had 18 rounds on his person. Oh and he shot 30 rounds. If he hit, what, 11 people and... 30 rounds, imagine what other damage he was able to do with 18 more rounds. So this uh, quick response really saved, I feel like, a lot of lives. So uh, condolences to the families who lost their loved ones and great Mm -hmm. work for law enforcement. I mean, there could be more broken families, but it's just a good reminder of uh, the courage and uh, the professionalism and the skill that these uh, men in blue have. So uh, the suspect is Ethan Crumbly. He is being charged with uh, terrorism, four counts of first-degree murder, seven counts of assault with intent to murder, 12 counts of possession of a firearm, while committing a felony uh, with possible additional charges pending. Uh, t- terrorism, right? It says the un- unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians, in a pursuit of political aims. So I wonder what you know, what I, political yeah, uh, what political motive he has. So he's a 15-year-old. Yeah. I'm just wondering, you know, what 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 kind of political terroristic motive? I'm I'm okay with that charge. Yeah. I'm just oh. saying it's, it's it's yeah. It could be the whole, uh, you know, red versus blue right now. Uh, but what's interesting about this case is that the teen's parents are also being charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter for allowing their son t- uh, to have access to a firearm. It's interesting because this usually does not happen with other school shootings or other mass shootings we hear. We don't hear about parents being charged. So this is a very unique case. So I kind of looked into it, and a lot of facts were pretty mind-boggling. We found that Ethan was with his dad, James Crumbly, when he bought the firearm days before the incident. Apparently, it was meant for him. 
because he posted a picture of the gun on social media. Yes, I actually saw that. That was uh, they they say it was an early Christmas present. Early Christmas present. Can you imagine? Oh goodness! But they say the day after Thanksgiving they went and bought him an early Christmas gift. And he did quote, uh, "Just got my beauty" with a heart emoji. That's right. You can't really think much as like, hey, a fifteen-year-old has a gun. You know, it's probably not the best deal, but you're not gonna initially think, oh, he's gonna shoot up a school from that post. Right, because yeah. I mean, you, you expect the parents to be r- responsible, yeah. and there, there's young kids out there who, who you know. Parents keep their guns locked away, and then mm-hmm. they take him to the range and practice safely and teach a kid to handle for sure. a firearm. They take him hunting. You could argue whether it's necessary or not at that young age, but it could be done responsibly. For sure. And uh, it's that in itself is not too alarming. But another thing, teacher um, caught Ethan searching for ammo online while at school on his phone. They obviously notified parents, and they did not get a response from parents. That's a red flag. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they found another note, picture of a hand-drawn handgun pointing out words saying the thoughts won't stop, help me. Picture of a guy being shot, bleeding, laughing emoji, drawing of a bullet, words saying blood everywhere. And so they met with uh, his parents the morning of the shooting to discuss this note. Mm. I mean, major red flag. But surprisingly, the parents refused to have Ethan leave the school and failed to inspect his backpack to check if the gun was there. And he just returned to class. You know that when she, uh, so what I what I what I saw is uh, when the mother was notified about him searching Emma online, they pulled up the records and and she replied with, "Lol, I'm not mad at you. You should just learn to hide it better next time or something like that." <laughs> and it's like, what? Now, I don't know if you've seen it, but they're apparently uh, were supposed to appear um, on Friday yesterday at 4 p.m. and they didn't appear in court. And then later they reached out to the attorney and said that we're actually not running away from the law. We left the city because we don't want to, we fear for our safety. Uh, There's a $10,000 reward that was posted for them. I mean, it doesn't really help their case, though. It kind of looks like you're running from the law. Officials called them fugitives when they were uh, arguing they were doing this for their safety. Let's talk about the notes real quick on the internet searches. You know, teachers and parents were aware. And right now, in hindsight, we think, how did they allow this to happen with all this information? Now it all makes sense after the shooting in hindsight, you know. But before this happens, it's kind of easy to disregard it as nothing. You know, you think it's never going to happen to you. It's not going to be at your school. It's not going to be your kid, which is very alarming to me because working at 911, we get a surprising amount of similar threats uh, on bathroom stalls mm-hmm. about school shootings, posts on social media about shooting up a school. We had a lot of lockdowns in the last couple of months. Um, someone bringing a BB gun to a school, uh, sending a picture out, major lockdown, parents all panicking. A guy brought a makeshift flamethrower. Someone just the other day sent an anonymous airdrop saying, I have a gun. Just the last couple of weeks, we had a few major lockdowns. And it's easier for us to think, oh, these are just empty threats, you know, but those school officials and parents thought the same thing. Teens know this is uh, the best way to get, grab attention, you know. If they want to cause some alarm, cause some attention, hey, you know. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, thank God they don't follow through, but yeah. same thing in that case, you know. They were concerned, but not enough to search the backpacks of the students uh, or even to send them home. Honestly, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this story really calls for our attention, especially with the parents being charged, because nowadays more people in the Slavic community are buying firearms. Now, we're in a different time, and we have different views of guns, law enforcement, military than our parents had. 
but we know very little about gun safety because we were never taught. And especially now with the new police reforms in Washington, we don't have much time to deep dive into the subject. People are buying guns. Mm-hmm. And they're calling us at 911 saying, hey, how much force can one use to protect their property? Literally considering these options, I would get a lot of calls about guns being forgotten in bathroom stalls. They return it's missing. It's like, hey, I accidentally forgot my gun. It's not there. No one vehicle prowls, burglaries, etc. Like guns are the number of things that are get, get stolen. Yeah, I guess there is an influx of, of gun owners in general. Yeah, and God forbid that your firearm is used in something as tragic as this. Just kind of a wake-up call for us. Yeah. Like, hey, be mindful. Where's your weapon? Lock it down. You know, take safety courses. Practice shooting, you know. So we think, what's the solution? You know, we're not going to have, like, airport-type security on schools. Now, when I lived in California, one of the major things that stood out to us, uh, to me personally, maybe it was in the area I lived, it was when I saw schools, I saw bars over windows and gates and fences. I did not see this in Washington. So I was like, whoa, is this a school or a jail? I mean, it makes sense now. And I wouldn't be surprised if it goes as far as having some sort of a metal detector. This problem is not going anywhere. No. And it cannot be taken away by laws. You take away rifles, you still have handguns, Mm -hmm. which apparently is 20 times more preferred uh, by murderers than than a longer gun. Then there's shotguns. You take away that, they're going to use knife, axes, like people. The, the mind is corrupted and messed up. So obviously this problem is not going away, but the question is how do you make the places more safe? And, and sadly, it might have to look like a jail. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's... Locked from inside. Yeah. Yeah. People don't really feel safe going to a lot of uh, big outdoor events, public events, sports events, concerts. I mean, after the Las Vegas incident, all these incidents, like you're kind of sitting there, it's like, where am I going to go if, if there's an active shooter? That's something that kind of that you have to think about now when you go to a concert. Right. It's kind of like when people have this kind of fear of flying. It, same thing is now happening with fear of being in auditoriums. It's something you have to think about. And I'm sure there, there's going to be more talks, you know, how people say, oh, I'll talk about when you get pulled over by an officer, how you have to behave, sitting at work, especially with all these lockdowns. Coworkers are always saying, yeah, I had to talk with my son about like if there's a school shooter, what what you're going to do, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a real thing. And um, when I was uh, chatting with my brother, who's a pastor in California, I kind of mentioned about when I flew over to California, how I don't like flying. It's like a big metal object in the sky. You know, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. You know, yeah. uh, one person, a guy had an idea to send a bunch of people in the metal tube and, you know, God bless <laughs> you. kind of deal. <laughs> so he made a good point. You know, he's like, when I get on a plane, uh, I feel like Apostle Paul uh, on a ship journey to Rome. You know, when everybody was panicking uh, that the ship was sinking, there was a big storm. Paul stood up and was like, hey, uh, I'm paraphrasing. He said, don't be afraid. None of you will be lost. So Paul knew he had this faith. You know, God actually revealed to him that he needs to stand before Caesar. So he knew they're not going to sink in that ship. So my brother-in-law tells him, he's like, yeah, I have the same faith, same conviction. I'm on the plane. So it can't fall. Kind of like, don't worry, guys, I'm here. So you guys will be fine because he had that faith. So I'm like, hey, that's a very interesting perspective that, you know, nothing happens outside of God's will. So in conclusion, how important is it for us now, whether it's in school, college, work, or any public event, to have that faith that we're in the hands of our God? And even if the ship is sinking or someone is shooting, like in this case, that if God's will isn't fulfilled in our life, we will be okay. Well, that's all for the stories for this week. We are so glad you've joined us for another episode of Life Ring. We're excited about this next uh, season. Please consider following us on Facebook, 
Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube. Uh, all you have to do is just type in Life Ring Podcast. In fact, whenever you forget how to find us, go to Google. Life Ring Podcast, that's us. Also consider sharing it with a friend or family member that would benefit from a weekly overview of the current events from a conservative and Christian perspective. And as always, we would like to remind you that there is no better news on any given day than the good news of Jesus Christ. He died for the sins of the world so that everyone who comes to him would be saved. We encourage you to seek him if you haven't already. Thank you for listening to Life Ring, and we will see you next week. <laughs>